Are you a tech-savvy firm that offers basic bookkeeping, compliance, and strategy services such as advisory, reporting, analytics, or business coaching? Your firm can benefit from the FreshBooks Accounting Professionals Program. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, FreshBooks, later in the episode. That is it. That is the story of Robert Brockman, $2 billion in tax evasion, the largest U.S. tax fraud case in U.S. history. So here's my first question. Did it mention his firm? Like, who's the who's the accounting firm that did his audits and was a partner in this for 20 years? Um, that is a good question. Let's see if I can find this. Oh, that's great. I didn't find his accountant, but I did find out that his software company sells accounting software. <laughs> see, full circle back to the show. Accounting software to auto dealerships. Welcome to the cloud accounting. No, no. <laughs> I, I kind of want to change up my greeting for the new year. I've been doing the same thing for three years. Maybe I should change it. Should I say like, welcome to another episode of the cloud accounting podcast, or this is the cloud accounting podcast. Maybe I should just do that. Uh, yeah, or you could just leave this in and then we could jump in. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And this is the second time we've tried recording this episode in the space of two days. We had a little... Happy New Year again to you, Blake. Happy New Year. Happy New Year for the second time. Happy New Year for the second time. We had a bit of a recording snafu and we like did half an episode yesterday and then realized we weren't recording for some reason. So we decided just to stop and, and do it again the next day. So we're trying this again and it caused the domino effect, right? I know. Slack had an outage. Uh, the stock market dropped. The president committed potentially impeachable offenses. Uh, you know, I, I <laughs> it's been quite a day and I think we set it off. So I apologize to all of our listeners for that. But we are back and it is 2021. David, do you have any uh, New Year's resolutions? I, I, I didn't really try to do resolutions, but everybody, I feel like picking one word is like the trend this year. Like people are like, I want to be more calm or harmony or people are just picking a word. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of got pressured in by the wife to commit something here. And I was like, you know, I think I want to be more like deliberate. Like say less words. Well, that's a good start. Yeah. Uh, I, my resolution is nothing personal, but it's been something that's bugged me for a while about our show, which is that people keep asking Oh, I thought you were going to say the host. <laughs> I'm, going to switch, your co-host. I'm going to switch up my co-host <laughs> this year. Yeah. No, no. I love doing this show with you, David. And our listeners, I think, enjoy it very much as well. But the one thing they aren't happy with, or the one thing they keep asking about is, how do I get CPE for listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast? And I keep having to say, that's a great idea. Someday we'll do it. And never figured out how. Well, this is the year. I've, I'm committing to figure out how we can offer continuing professional education credits to our United States-based CPAs and uh, I guess EAs, if you can can use our credits for that. And, you know, we'll, we'll figure out how to do it. I've got a plan. I will share it with our listeners as soon as I figure this out. I got, I got a little more research to do. You know what I did over my holiday break, David? I read the entire CPE guide, you know, the like the rules and regulations around CPE. Uh, that was my holiday reading. You could record a podcast just summarizing that for an hour and a half and people get CPE. You should get CPE credit for reading that. That would be a very meta CPE, a CPE for learning how to offer CPE. I would like to do that. Uh, but, but yeah, that's my resolution. So um, 
you know, we'll, we'll have to check in in a couple months and see how we're doing. Uh, in the meantime, the world has continued on. 2020 is over, but 2021 is here, and it's a really just a continuation of 2020 at this point. You and I live in the state with the apparently worst COVID outbreak in the world, right? That's my understanding. Yes. So, I, I, you know, of course, we're not leaving the house. We're just stuck here in our recording studios together, together apart or apart together, I think is the advertising term that the government is using. Uh, but, you know, we got some news uh, from the outside world about current events that and how they're relating to accounting. Do you remember the bombing that happened in Nashville over the holiday? Yes. I mean, obviously that happened Christmas Day. Everybody knew about this. Oh yeah, it was Christmas Day. I forgot about this. Uh, I guess there's so much that's been happening. Uh, but then I spotted an article on Going Concern that mentioned that the NASBA offices, the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy, which is deeply tied to the CPA exam score results process, their offices are in Nashville. I had no idea. So I learned this. Their offices are in downtown Nashville, only a block and a half away from where the bombing happened. And they were fortunately, uh, I guess for them, shielded from the blast by that AT&T building that was apparently targeted. So they're okay. Nobody was there. Nobody was hurt. The CPA scores uh, are fine. Uh, everything's good with that. So don't have to worry about your CPA exam results uh, getting delayed as a result of this. And hopefully the, the, there's a lesson here, like making they need to double check their uh, redundancy plans. They have it backed up to the cloud. Like, Yeah, I, I don't know. It didn't mention in this article whether they're on-prem or not. Hopefully not. <laughs> we wouldn't want some sort of natural disaster or, or uh, in uh, Nashville to take down everyone's uh, CPA exam records. Um, Follow-up from a previous show, we talked about how the Treasury Department was a victim of the SolarWinds hack, that hack of federal government and uh, Microsoft and Deloitte computer systems through that SolarWinds contractor. Apparently, you know, the Russians might be behind this. The Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration said, according to Accounting Today, that so far they haven't uncovered any evidence that sensitive taxpayer data was accessed. That's some good news, right? I'm, I'm surprised that, that people aren't like, there's tax returns that would be juicy. Uh, like, it's true. I'm surprised they didn't try harder to get them, or maybe they do have them. They're going to wait and release these things at certain times, or it's like the computer systems were so bad and old. Now they get in there and nobody can figure it out. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, maybe the tax returns are still on those mainframe computers, and you can't even get into them through a hack. But that's good then. All right, so, so, so basically, two two major things: our, our tax data was protected, and our C, uh, CPA exam scores were protected. So, hey, some good news, even in this uh, tough January that we're having. Uh, what, what's new? What have you been following in the news, David? Um, I have a little bit of app news. Two tax software companies both purchased apps this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a thing with FedEx. They've made a purchase, which kind of ties into my, are we going to see players that are in our space join our space? OnPay had a uh, small business report about advisors and accountants and bookkeepers being advisors to their small business clients. This came out months and months and months ago, but I finally digested it. I, I've been meaning to bring it to the show and I just haven't. So I'm going to finally talk about that today. And then uh, that's it. I mean, it's been a little bit of a slow. I mean, we only had, what, a three-day work week. What do I have? I have a few more remote work stories. You know, I'm a big fan of that. I have some survey data about how accounting firms are adopting tech. These are those annual surveys that tell us some interesting things. And I've got a fraud story we might be able to get to, which is pretty cool. It's about one of the largest tax fraud cases in US history, which happened in 2020. And kind of, I think we missed it because of everything going on. So 
where do we want to start? Why don't we start with uh, with app news? All right, we can jump into that. Tax software provider Sobos, S-O-V-O-S. I think we may have talked to the, about them before in the past. They acquired another company now called LTAX. And LTAX is a New York-based provider of payroll withholding and unemployment tax software. So this is basically going to allow uh, Savos, Sovos, sorry, Sovos, to um, now do payroll wage reporting reports, 941s, et cetera. And their, their sweet spot apparently for Sovos is they serve the majority of insurance companies that are in the U.S. So they can do statutory reporting, unclaimed property, and tax information reporting needs. And this is one of their uh, six acquisitions they made th- th- over the past year. They're privately held, but it's kind of similar to Avalara, who was also in the news for an acquisition they made as well. Avalara acquired another company called Inposia, I-N-P-O-S-I-A. They are a German software company focused on e-invoicing, digital tax reporting, business and data integration. And they currently work in uh, across 60 different countries, including Latin America, Europe, and Asia. So Av- Avalara continues to make this march to be the global tax mm-hmm. uh, middleman between business and governments, right? And calculate all the taxes and providing APIs for apps to calculate taxes and providing payment portals to pay this taxes to the government. And really the, and the governments are on board because the theory is by keeping this almost instant, it really eliminates fraud and keeps people from missing filings, right? And not paying the closer they get it to real time. Well, I have, one kind of app news story, top five, accounting from RSM, number five after the big four, has bolstered its Salesforce consulting practice by acquiring substantially all of the assets of Monday Call, a San Francisco-based consultancy that specializes in CRM software, Salesforce. You know, I think it shows just how important consulting is these days in large firms. I mean, this isn't even like ERP, this is CRM. This is customer relationship management software. So, um, but a lot of that is becoming very much linked into the ERP systems and they're entangled. And so you got to be able to do it all. All the data is something that uh, accountants are really well positioned to own, right? The whole data information system in a business. Yeah. Well, to, to, it goes back to this whole, you know, if you want to be an advisor, you almost, you can't just be a, virtual CFO, you probably need to control the bookkeeping, right? And I think once you get to these bigger, if you have huge clients and you're a top accounting firm, you probably need to have expertise in Salesforce because that's where a lot of the client, your client's data probably is in. So it kind of makes sense to build that expertise in your firm. And I would argue that this is not even something that just large firms should be doing, small firms. If you are involved in making technology decisions with your clients, helping them with that, you should be helping them with CRM. If you're uh, helping them implement accounting systems, implement that CRM system, make sure it's integrated with their QuickBooks or their Xero, or you can make their business so much more effective if if all that customer data is linked to all that accounting data. And I think, I mean, we talked about our QuickBooks integrates with HubSpot now, yep. right? So that the table's set for you, right? If you're in the QuickBooks and Xero world, these CRMs exist. They, I think Insightly is a smaller CRM for small businesses, but they have a lot of connections to QuickBooks. So there's a lot of these CRMs that are out there that you could build. You could find one or two that chances are maybe your your customer doesn't even have a CRM. Exactly. So if you can settle on one or two, you could roll this out to them. It's a value add. I mean, you know, Gene Marks, right? His entire business, I think, is CRM. 
he puts CRMs into small businesses. <laughs> he doesn't even do accounting systems as far as I know. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And he's, you know, one of the most influential uh, accountants, CPAs online. So there you go. Um, what else? Any more apps stories? Uh, so FedEx. So obviously we know that Amazon ships things. Well, who's that going to hurt? Well, FedEx, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, FedEx used to, or UPS and FedEx used to get a ton of business from Amazon until Amazon decided to build their own delivery service, right? So FedEx is playing touche. They're going to they're going towards the e-commerce side now. So they purchased a company called ShopRunner. Are you familiar with this company at all? I feel like I've heard of it, but I don't know exactly what it does. So basically, it's like getting Amazon Prime for like 100 different stores, uh, Bloomingdale's, Neiman Marcus, um, Under Armour, American Eagle Outfitters. And so you can sign up, add your payment method, you know, connect your American Express Mm -hmm. cards, your PayPal Mm -hmm. account, you get one email address, and you can shop in all these stores and buy whatever you want. But then it's just like Amazon Prime, you get instant two-day shipping, you get free returns. But instead of you having a relationship with all 100 of these stores, you have a relationship with ShopRunner. Got it. And they play middleman. And so FedEx has purchased this company and they're rolling it into a service that FedEx is rolling out called FedEx Services. And specifically, it's called FedEx DataWorks. So FedEx is going to use their DataWorks division and the power of all the FedEx information ecosystem to reshape the online intangible client experience. So instead of just shipping goods, FedEx is kind of thinking bigger now and they're, they want to improve the whole e-commerce shopping experience. So they're, they're, they're going up towards Amazon. But, well, they, they kind of have to, right? If Amazon keeps on building out its delivery fleet the way it's going, it'll be able to start taking packages from third parties. Uh, and delivering them. Like I see the Amazon uh, trucks or, or they're like these big vans, right? Sort of like in between a truck and a van going through my yeah, neighborhood all day long, like all day. And and there's so much traffic. There's so many orders from my neighborhood that Amazon can ship almost anything same day or next day. It's crazy to me uh, how convenient it is. Like, like how, how, how easy would it be for Amazon? Because they have those uh, at all the Whole Foods and 7-Elevens now, they have those uh, Amazon... Lockers, lockers, yeah, lockers. You could just have an envelope, and if you need to FedEx something, I'm sorry, so I'm using FedEx, but <laughs> you need to FedEx something in two days, yeah. you'll just put it in some sort of Amazon envelope, and they'll deliver it instead in two days. Maybe in 10 years, we'll say, uh, I need to Amazon that to somebody today, you know, instead of FedEx it. Yeah, it could be very dangerous for FedEx. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, but the other interesting thing is you could see where, you know, companies like Shopify, these other companies that are really competing with Amazon, yeah. do they start getting in bed deeper with FedEx? Or, or are we going to see a world where... Oh, if you buy from Shopify, it's always shipped on FedEx. And if you buy from Amazon, it's always come through Amazon shipping. Like you're going to see the separated silos of how your packages get shipped in. So what's been really terrible about the whole USPS, you know, United States Postal Service snafu that we've been having is that it really hurts small businesses. Like I bet that most of those Shopify businesses ship using the postal service because it's the easiest, cheapest thing for a small business to use. UPS and FedEx only start to make sense when you have huge volumes. And and so like Shopify's huge risk is that it gets stuck uh, with USPS, which then, you know, continues to decline if it doesn't get the funding it needs and, and, all, and all this stuff, right? Like, so maybe it's in their interest to like work out some deal with FedEx or UPS where they're like twi- intertwined together to like compete with 
you know, Amazon's vertically integrated. It's it's the most amazing machine. They 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 have the warehouses, they have the delivery fleet, they have the website, they've got everything. How can you compete with that? And this shopper would be interesting. It could could FedEx roll out this service to small business owners, right? Right. Because right now it's all big companies. You know, it's NFLshop.com. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, it's uh who else is in here? Well, um, and a lot of times when you buy something on Prime, it's actually shipped from a third party who agrees to participate in the Prime program, like in a, and abide by all the same uh rules about returns and whatnot. So like you could do the same thing. All right. Enough of that. There's no more enough. Enough, <laughs> enough. Enough. Enough talking about Amazon. We talk about Amazon a lot for an accounting show. Uh, <laughs> um, let's talk about. Okay, I'll let you pick next. Choose your own adventure, David. I, I kind of wonder. Uh, you tease me with this fraud story. Like, like I'm trying to think. Like, what is this fraud story that we completely missed? <laughs> okay, I'm so glad because this is this has been sitting at the bottom of my notes for months now, and I've I've really wanted to talk about it because I, I read the story. Uh, we'll see how my notes are at helping me remember the details. So the headline of the story is Justice Department charges Texas billionaire with the biggest tax fraud case in U.S. history. I spotted this on thehill.com and it was published in mid-October. And the story is about Robert Brockman, 79 years old of Houston. He faces a 39 count indictment that covers a 20-year period, including charges of money laundering, conspiracy, wire fraud, and tax evasion. He is essentially charged with two schemes, a tax fraud scheme and an investor fraud scheme. So this guy, Robert Brockman, he is the CEO of Reynolds & Reynolds. It's an Ohio-based software company. And he is accused of hiding $2 billion in income from the IRS in a tax fraud scheme that went on from 1999 to 2019. And how did he hide that money? He hid it with investments in private equity funds in offshore entities based in Bermuda and Navis. The other accusation is that he sent untaxed capital gains income to secret bank accounts in Bermuda and Switzerland. The billionaire backdated records and communicated with a co-conspirator through code words and encrypted methods. There was another scheme where he allegedly manipulated debt securities by his own company over two years to obtain about $68 million through a third party. And then finally, he allegedly used non-public information about the company to make purchasing decisions and convince another person to change or destroy documents and computer evidence. So that is it. That is the story of Robert Brockman, $2 billion in tax evasion, the largest U.S. tax fraud case in U.S. history. So here's my first question. Did it mention his firm? Like, who's the who's the accounting firm that did his audits and was a partner in this for 20 years? Um, that is a good question. Let's see if I can find this. Oh, that's great. I didn't find his accountant, but I did find out that his software company sells accounting software. <laughs> See, full circle back to the show. Accounting software to auto dealerships. Uh, that's one of the things they sell. They also sell sales and management software to auto dealerships. That is funny. So are they Were they a public company? I guess so, yeah. So we can see who audited their financial statements. Their 10K uh, at sec.gov was signed by Deloitte. So there you go, David. That's my fraud story. Hope you liked it. I don't know how this happens. For, like, these 20-year-long frauds are kind of amazing. Yeah. And this is not like he's 10 grand a year for 20 years. No, this is, this is insane amounts of money. $2 billion over 20 years. So uh, many, many <laughs> millions lot. of dollars every year. Yeah. 
This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. Did you know that FreshBooks is the number two small business accounting software in America? Did you know that FreshBooks now does double entry accounting? Did you know that FreshBooks offers the accuracy, compliance tools, and reporting that you need to properly advise and work with your clients? Did you know that FreshBooks has recently launched an accountants program? The FreshBooks Accounting Professionals program is designed to allow you to focus on high-value services while having the peace of mind that your clients are accurately recording their invoices and expenses. As a FreshBooks Accounting Partner, you'll receive FreshBooks training, dedicated account managers, and human-centric support. If you want to learn more about how to grow your firm with FreshBooks, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash FreshBooks. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S. Work better together with FreshBooks. So speaking of big numbers, we can talk about the uh, economy a little bit. Um, The title of the article is Some Businesses Thrived, Many Lagged During the Pandemic in 2020. And, And it really digs into the, you know, the winners and the losers. So the winners are pretty clear. We've talked to death about the Apples, the Microsofts, the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Googles. Mm-hmm. Big tech was a huge winner. We, we all know this. There's no secrets here. Streaming services, a lot of people are stuck at home. So Disney Plus yeah. added 86 million customers. A lot of people are stuck at home. Streaming services really took off. People are stuck at home. Delivery services took off. All your DoorDashes, your Seamlesses, all those delivery services were huge this yep, year. Yep. And then home workouts. So Peloton, I think, did you buy like one of those machines with a screen? Uh, we, we did buy an elliptical, but uh, my, my wife does Beachbody. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that, but she's a huge fan of that. She did, she did the whole thing. It took like, I don't know, 10 weeks. And you subscribe to that as well, right? It's all yeah, online yeah, yeah. video type stuff. That Subscription, the, pay per month, yeah. And the other one that you may not have known about is Pet Supplies, apparently. Pet Supplies? Pet oh, supplies yeah, because people are buying puppies. Yeah, a lot of people got puppies. Um, so the all the online pet delivery things like the Chewy, like the Bark Box, or those those things where they just ship you the dog food and they ship you toys to your dog. So yeah, so pets pet sales are way up. Our pet supplies uh, took a huge uh, increase in 2020. Now, obviously, the things that are down, so travel, which we obviously we've talked about. There's no work related travel. Um, small businesses really lost in general. Um, you know, they pretty much over 20 million jobs were lost. At small companies, yeah, yeah, over the year, right? It's it's been even even with all the relief, it's been tough on small businesses. Business attire, like nobody <laughs> nobody's buying men's suits. Uh, yeah, men's didn't men's warehouse go out of business? I think they may have. Yes, yeah. I mean, I can count on one hand the number of times I put on a collared shirt. I think since and then real estate, obviously, commercial real estate is down. And the only I think we forgot about, and I'm not sure we ever talked about it on the the podcast because it came and went so quickly. But remember oil. Yeah, yeah. It oil was negative, a barrel, yeah. because nobody they couldn't store it. There was zero demand for oil. Yeah, if you could put a barrel of oil in your garage, you could have made money. But I, th- but I think they've they've balanced this back out again because a gallon of gas now is still it's not a deal anymore. It's it's still kind of pre pandemic levels again. So so it's kind of the winners and the losers. I thought I was I was uh, I did not know about the pets and I didn't even think about business attire. Well, I'm glad you brought this up because. I saw a similar story in the Wall Street Journal about six businesses that received Paycheck Protection Program funds in Asheville, North Carolina. A reporter, two reporters from the Wall Street Journal went to Asheville. They walked around downtown and they found six businesses. That's a sweet gig. Like, like 
that, that's such crap. They like sold their editors. Like, hey, we got to go to Asheville downtown. There's all yeah, these yeah, breweries yeah. there. I We're going to go visit some company. Well, it's a total racket. It's great, right? And you know, the first place they went was a bar. <laughs> so, so, so the, the bar is called Little Jumbo. This business owner got a $52,000 PPP loan in April. But months later, the state coronavirus mandates prohibited the bar from serving patrons indoors and it didn't have enough outdoor serving space to reopen. So they haven't reopened. There are 10 employees that were laid off in March and they actually never rehired them and used the PPP money. The owner's just holding on to it in case he can someday reopen and he's going to use that money to reopen. And I found this fascinating because this is one of the scenarios that we talked about when the PPP was being rolled out is the idea that business owners wouldn't apply for forgiveness. They would just use it as a cheap loan, which kind of defeats the purpose, right? The whole point is that people spend it on payroll and keep people employed. Now, that was one of the six small businesses. There were others that did use the money on payroll. Uh, An example that I love is Moog Music, which is also in Asheville. And Moog is super famous to anyone who is a musician and uses like electronic equipment. They, they're a company of 160 people, a, an American success story, a small business that makes high-end audio equipment for live performances, you know, pedals for your guitar and all that kind of stuff. So if I'm a, if I'm a working musician, yeah, yeah. I'm going, I'm getting my stuff for my tour from them, but it's COVID obviously in tour. No. And so they actually stopped making equipment temporarily. They switched to making PPE personal protective equipment and stuff like that to support the effort. They made CPAP machines. um, And then they went back in June to making musical equipment. And that all roared back. People are stuck at home. They want to learn how to make music. They want to make electronic music. And their revenue is actually up 15% over 2019. So they're making 15% more even during the pandemic than in uh, last year. And they got a big loan. They got a $1.86 million PPP loan for their 160 employees. And they spent that money on payroll because everybody was still working. So basically that loan let them, because they transitioned twice. Because really, I, I, they're, they're, you could argue they're a small manufacturer. Right. So they shut down their factories, retooled everything to create PPE. Yes. And then after that demand kind of went down a little bit, they retooled their whole factory again to create whole new electrical instruments and devices that people would use at home. Actually, you could argue that that money is what allowed them to do that. But it didn't It didn't stop those employees from getting laid off because the employees probably wouldn't have gotten laid off anyway. So it's an interesting case. It's not exactly what was intended. Now, there is a case here that is exactly what was intended with the PPP. This is Old Europe Pastries, which got a $62,500 loan and that really helped them get through the valley. They were shut down for a few months due to the lockdowns, the shutdowns, whatever you want to call them. They couldn't make any money because people couldn't even go out to buy their stuff. When the reopening happened, and during that time, they used the money to keep their employees on on payroll. And then when the shutdown ended, they were able to reopen for takeout. And they switched to making smaller cakes for smaller groups. uh, And their revenue is up. They actually are now up 5% compared to last year, even with the shutdown. So um, that's a success story. That that is where the PPP money served its exact purpose, which was help get businesses through the shutdown. And there's some other really good ones in here. Uh, I won't go through them all because- Were there any failures or were there any 
businesses that got the money. I guess were they, they may, maybe they weren't still around for them to even interview. <laughs> well, well, there was actually. So there's an events management company, Shea Brown Events Management. This is a company that got a loan uh, for $39,000 PPP loan. Their revenue is down 90% and it didn't come back. And so even though they had the money and they used the money to pay employees temporarily, they ultimately had to lay off the vast majority of their employees. They had 20 to 25 before. Now they're down to four full-time workers. So that's that's an example where it wasn't enough for long enough. Uh, and there's some other good ones in here. I mean, I've already talked about four of the six, but the others are great. And 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 these are just interesting stories with more detail. So, so check out that story. I'll put the link in the show notes. I'd love it if listeners could call us with some of their client stories. Genuine like success, like, hey, we had this client, they got this much money, they reinvented themselves to this, and now, you know, some feel-good stories. I'd love for people to call and just leave us a voicemail. Um, keep it, you have to keep it, what, within three minutes, right? Which is long enough to tell a story about your client, I think. Yeah, yeah, aim for two minutes, you know, write down some bullet points if you want to keep your thoughts organized, but you don't have to script it out. Give us a call. David, what is that number? The number is 202-695-1040. 202-695-1040. It's go straight to voicemail. Give us a call, leave us a message, and, and we'll take a listen, and we might even play it on the air. And speaking of, we have a voicemail to listen to. How convenient. I'm very excited about this. Uh, let's get that pulled up. Hi, my name's Kelly. I'm calling from Nixon, Missouri. I listen to your podcast, and I love them. I have a bachelor's in accounting I went back to school later in life um, just to be able to become a CPA. I had kids first, so I went back to school after 30 years. Anyway, I uh, now, of course, you know, to get your CPA, you have to have the 150 credit hours instead of the 120. So my bachelor's has 120, so I am moving on. I start, you know, next month to uh, do my master's of organizational management because I don't want to do an MBA Um, to get the extra credits, but I'm listening to your podcast on uh, the, I guess it's podcast 203. Anyway, and I just heard you guys say that you don't need a master's to become a CPA. You just need your bachelor's degree. And I'm just wondering, I don't have to get into debt to do that. How how would I get those extra 30 uh, credits? Because I'm under the impression that they do have to be in business credits, accounting credits. Thank you very much. You guys are doing a great job. I love listening to your podcast. Bye. So, like, this reminded me of you. Weren't you on the Jaeger CPA Review podcast? And I think there's a whole discussion about this you had. Yes. Uh, well, whenever I get the chance to, I complain about the 150 hour requirement because I I think it's pointless. I think it's not very helpful. It just puts up barriers, makes people spend more money, and uh, yeah, it's just a hoop to jump through, which I had to jump through. And you know, being enterprising and and cheap. And not wanting to pay uh, a lot of money, I, I figured out how to do it as cheaply as I could and still get a decent education. You know, having already spent a lot of my family's money going to Northwestern, which is at least at the time was one of the most expensive colleges in the in the world. I think. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I didn't want to spend a lot of money and go into debt to to you know basically retool. So is there a way? Is there a way for Kelly to get around this? Like that's the, I guess I'm not too sure on. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think that you've got to do a master's degree. Now, if you're starting from scratch and you definitely know what you want to do, I think those five-year accounting programs they have at colleges are great. So you do four years and then you do a fifth year and you get your master's as part of all that. 
that's a good investment, right? You're getting a master's in accounting or tax. You're spending five years doing it and you're taking the CPA exam probably during that fifth year. And you know, you're, you're ready to go. You're, you're set, right? That's a, that's a great way to go. Uh, but if you already have a bachelor's, I think going and getting a master's may not be the best investment because you don't necessarily need it. Depends on your state. Uh, in California, you're only required to have a bachelor's degree and a total of 150 semester units of college coursework. Uh, and there's a breakdown of what that has to be in, you know, 24 units in accounting and business, 20 units of accounting study, 10 units of ethics. And so I went through my bachelor's degree, my, uh, what do you call it, where they list all the courses you've taken in your grades, uh, my transcript. And, you know, I pulled out all the courses I could use for that. And then I figured out what my gap was. And instead of doing the master's, which would have taken a lot of time and been more expensive, I did a certificate program. And, and you don't even have to do that. You can, you can just take individual classes wherever you can at an accredited school. It's just about total credit yeah. hours. And so at, at the end... It's not about a degree or... Exactly. I mean, you have to have the bachelor's degree, but then it's about the total hours. And they'll take transcripts from anywhere that's accredited, I think. At least in California, it was pretty easy. You just send in all your transcripts and they'll add them up. Uh, and you, they have a little worksheet you do. So yeah, I, I took classes at Santa Monica College online. I took classes at UCLA Extension, which is a program anyone can enter. You don't have to apply. It's pretty great. What, what's the uh, the class that you were able to get credit for for your total hours at to some extent? It doesn't really matter. Did you get underwater basket weaving? Like what's, what's the... <laughs> are you willing to, to, to disclose this? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I, I had a few credits. I was shy a few credits and I actually sent in my application to sit for the exam and they told me I was short and I was uh, really embarrassed because I, you know, I'm an accountant and I totaled it up wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so I had to take some credits. And so I took like philosophy. I already had the accounting and business stuff. I just needed any credit. You know, it could be in anything for college credit. So I took a philosophy class and, you know, got existential about my my fate as a future CPA. Um, wow. But yeah, I, I recommend that. You know, the, the it's true that once you have your CPA, nobody cares what your GPA was. Nobody cares what you got on the CPA exam. Nobody even seems to care much about where you went to school. So it's uh it's the way to go, right? I think I spent like, I don't know, ten or twelve thousand dollars for the whole thing after my bachelor's. That's what it feels like. I'd have to go and check my uh accounting system <laughs> to to make sure. Um but yeah, it was pretty affordable and, and that was having had no accounting or business credits. I had to I had to basically do an accounting major in a certificate in the form of a certificate program to get all those credits and and it was really affordable. You know, I mean talk about ROI, right? Uh so being a CPA increases your earning potential a little bit over being a uh, an unemployed musician, which is what I was before or a podcaster or a podcast host. Yes, that's right. So yeah, um Take a look at what your state requirements are and and see if you can game the system, especially if you can take those classes online. Uh, but, you know, don't skimp out on the accounting classes, like the core accounting, like intro, uh, not intro, uh, intermediate accounting and advanced accounting. Like you need that to be solid. So like if, even if you're going to do it online, do it someplace like reputable to get a good thing for that. But all the other stuff, it's like, you know, the stuff that's just for compliance purposes, that's just to, to fill it out to hit the 150 hours, like you can do anything uh, in a lot of cases. 
I'll try to find that link to that uh, podcast you're on just to put that in the show notes because I thought that was a great discussion you had on that. But you went for a good solid hour just soapboxing on this. And I, so we'll, we'll get that. It's ridiculous. You know, you can take religion classes in California and theology classes and that'll count for your 150 hours. It's great. <laughs> uh, so you want to jump into, you said you had some survey data. I have some survey data. You kind of want to wrap up some of the, the year survey stuff we have? Yeah, let's do it. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by QuickFeed. Have you ever had a client that needed your services and requested a payment plan, but they didn't want to apply for a loan, open a new line of credit, or sadly, they were just declined by the bank? And let's be honest, you probably didn't want to deal with the credit applications, credit checks, or that embarrassing you've been denied conversation. Imagine giving your clients the key to unlocking interest-free, reward-earning monthly payment plans. QuickFee allows your clients to pay outstanding fees in up to 12 installments while your firm gets paid upfront and in full. With zero technical implementation needed, QuickFee is the risk-free way to offer your clients the payment terms they need, allowing you to focus on delivering the services they deserve. To beat the bank with QuickFee installments and join CheckFree and offering the responsible alternative to financing, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash quickfee. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash Q-U-I-C-K-F-E-E. OnPay did a survey in 2019. Uh, they published the results soon after. And so it's just, or I mean, in 2020, but it's kind of been sitting in my inbox or like on my list of one day I'll read this survey. Mm-hmm. They surveyed a panel of 1,085 managers and owners of US small businesses that had at least one employee. So it's pretty significant base, right, to, to, to go off of here. Half, almost half of those business owners and managers, they do the finance and accounting themselves. But they also are willing to admit like about 28% of them that doing, doing that is doing it themselves, they've been audited or have received a notice from the IRS for either a compliance or mistakes, et cetera. So, so they're very aware of the, the struggles they have in it. And you know, 61% of these owners, they're really satisfied with the services they get from their accountant, but they don't think their accountant is proactive enough. That's the classic, yeah. So I thought that was kind of one of the interesting statistics. And then there's tons and tons and tons of statistics in here. Um, well, so, so the takeaway there, right, is, uh, hey, just be more proactive. Like when something changes with PPP, send an email and say, hey, this thing has changed. Even if you don't know what you're going to tell your clients, like just say like, I'm, on, I'm looking into this. Uh, if you have questions, give me a call or something. Yeah, that's a simple that's all you gotta do. online email. Yeah, right, exactly. So I'm on top of it, you know, <laughs> even if you're not. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then if somebody you get an inbound, then it's time to go learn it. Exactly, right? there you go. It. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, of the smaller businesses, thirty percent of small business owners, only thirty percent have chosen to work with an accountant. But the ones that do, they consider the, their accountant their most important advisor. That's great. And to kind of think about that at, at a little deeper level, thirty percent of small business owners say their accountant is the advisor they trust most, followed by family and friends at 22%, their lawyer at 16%, their financial planner at 9%, and then insurance brokers and a banker <laughs> got a few votes. So I, like- I, Wow, I'm amazed the financial planners get so little trust. That's not that's not great for them. I, I, well, are, are most of the financial planners really just security salesmen? A lot of them just, yeah, they sell a lot of insurance. So <laughs> um, well, it's, it's, hard tr- it's hard to trust somebody that gets a commission for selling you, you know, financial products. The other interesting stat I thought was uh, in- interesting in here was the about how uh, they build their clients. So 
there is this, they saw a relationship between people, small businesses who uh, consider their accountant as a trusted advisor were more likely to have flat monthly billing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's a chicken or egg thing, but if you have flat monthly billing, maybe you're providing more services, right? Maybe it's at a higher rate. Yeah, right? yeah, or yeah. you're because you're in flat monthly billing, you're actually doing their bookkeeping on a monthly basis instead of this once a year engagement. And so the impression they're getting as the business owner, you know, is that you uh, they're just more satisfied with you. Yeah, or or maybe they just feel like they can call you with their questions, and uh, you know they don't have to go solve it themselves because they're afraid of getting a bill for you for fifteen minutes or something. That's a good point too. Yeah. They, 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 they're like, oh, because they're charging, it's a flat fee. I can just go to them when I need a quick question asked. I'm not intimidated to where I don't utilize them. And then that creates a, a weird cycle, right? Like he charges me too much. I'm not going to ask Blake a question. And then I get resentful, right? Yeah, makes sense. So I've got some survey data of my own, David. What percentage of firms would you say view technology as a competitive differential? Take a guess. What percentage of firms? Yes, accounting firms. Saying, saying that their technology is what enables them to compete better against other accounting firms. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a gander? 12%. <laughs> it's actually 57% of firms now view technology as a competitive differential, which sort of a good thing and also a bad thing. I'm thinking it's a good thing that more than half of firms view technology as a competitive advantage, but also like that's not – like there's a lot of firms that don't. You know, like how could you not view tech as giving you an advantage, making you more competitive, differentiating you from other firms? Like this was in a CPA Trendlines uh, survey that they do annually. Oh, so I want to restate my my guess. I apparently, so I, I was under the impression that like people are answering that they have technology in their firm that makes them more competitive than others, and really this is just a belief system. Oh, that, yeah, yes, yeah, technology yeah. is going to make. So yeah, I could see how half of the firms say like, yeah, technology is going to help me compete better. Right. But like, if you ask, you know, 40% of firms, they'd be like, no, I don't think it makes a difference. Like it doesn't make a difference whether we, you know, have a portal where people can send files to us or if we require them to mail them to us or something, you know? Yeah. When you phrase it that way, like like you, you say it out loud that way, it is a little disturbing, right? Yeah. 40% of firms are saying technology doesn't matter. I can just do things the old yeah, way yeah. with my clients. Here's some more stats from the survey that I thought were interesting. of firms do not use software to track the availability of their staff, meaning, you know, when you're in Slack and you can see whether or not somebody is green or offline or or busy, you know, or if you're on Skype or something like that, like just being able to see if staff are available. What percentage? 65% of firms do not use software to track availability of staff. And how, what percentage of firms still bill by the hour? I know, right? If you're billing by the hour, five percent, right? And if you're billing by the hour, shouldn't you be tracking staff availability? Like it's like that would be the number one thing I'd want to know is like, are they at their desk or not? Are they are they billing or not? Well, um, let's talk about cloud apps. A quarter of respondents reported that their firms are not using any cloud applications, which is actually up from 16.5% in 2019. So somehow the share of firms that are not using any cloud apps grew from one year to another. The most popular applications, email hosting at 48%, office apps at 41%, tax research at 32%, workflow management at 29.6%, and file storage at 22%. The most popular SaaS applications included, no surprise, QuickBooks Online, 60%, 
Uh, and then XCM gets about 20.5%, Zero's at 12%, and Bill.com is at 11%. David, that shocked me to see that QBO is only at 60% and, and Bill.com only at 11%. But not everybody's doing small business cast type services, right? Um, which explains why XCM is so high up. Yeah, but even XCM is only like 21% if you round up. Well, then what, what, what are people using? Like, I, I don't know. What are they doing in their firms? I don't know. What else? The top three technology challenges or annoyances in firms, security and risk management is number one at around 50%. And then uh, the next one, about a third of firms say that change or keeping up with new software is a challenge. Only 17% of firms have a technology purchasing budget. But that is up from 2019. It was uh, 12% in 2019. That's crazy to me, like not having a dedicated tech budget. How do people like to learn about tech for their firm? The top two choices, industry events that I attend in person. Uh, So nobody learned anything this year. (laughs) That's about a third. And then from my peers is uh, 30%. So apparently well, the cloud accounting podcast is not a survey. <laughs> yes. Yes. Next year. Next year we will be listed as the top way they, they understand their news, replacing in-person conferences. Yeah. So so that's the um that's the tech survey from uh, our friends over at uh, CPA Trendlines. So remember uh two, three weeks ago we talked about, you know, now that people aren't paying for offices. What should they do with that money? And I think uh, I forgot who wrote the blog post, but you know they recommended, hey, take your staff on an offsite. Mm-hmm. But maybe some portion of that money you're saving by not having um, an office, maybe you should budget out for your tech spend. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. I have no more stories. We just have a review, right? Should we jump into that? Yeah, give that a read. It is from Illy Benilli. <laughs> Uh, Didn't we have a shenane banane or something the other day? I think we've had, yeah. Some people are either, I think what happened is, is like way back in the day, people got their very first iDevice and maybe they were in college and whatever they thought, like maybe Millie Vanilli was cool and they're like mocking it and they created their name. I don't know. But yes, there's a lot of uh, interesting names we see come through on the reviews. But anyways, this is a five-star review. It was on Apple Podcast. Uh, The review title is On the Edge. I love this podcast because it is the forefront of everything that's happening in the realm of accounting and tech. Never in my life did I think I'd be staying on top of accounting news. Yet here I am, thanks to David and Blake. Thanks for the humor, the opinions, and research. And a little smiley emoji. Oh, thank you so much. Really appreciate that review. And if our listeners would like to do us a huge favor and write a review, where can they do that, David? If you're in the Apple world, you can just do it inside of your Apple podcast player and you can write a review there. If you're outside of the Apple world, you can go to podchaser.com, find the Cloud Accounting Podcast, click write a review, and that those reviews actually show up in other podcast players now as well. That's great. And connect with us online. I am at Blake T. Oliver on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn. Just tell me you're not a bot when you connect with me and I'll, I'll and you listen to the podcast. I would love to connect. How about you, David? Uh, I'm easy to find everywhere on the socials. I'm at David Leary. And again, LinkedIn, tell me you're not a bot. David, uh, great chatting with you in this new year and uh, all the best to you and to Melio and your family. And you as well, Blake. This is going to be a whole new year of fun. 
I'm for looking for 2021. Uh, a lot of more change. Lot, um, PPP. It's a lot of change this year. I'm really looking forward to putting our p- mobile podcast rig to use in the summer. I cannot oh, wait. I hope so. That fun. imagine with a mobile pod, we get to go to a conference and issue CP credit. That'd be two huge victories for the podcast this year. Oh, we need we need to have some CPE sessions at conferences. I, I think that needs to happen. We'll create create something that's CPE worthy. We'll do it. <laughs> All right, and talk to you later, David. All right, bye.